If you have your Bibles handy, I'd like to invite you to open them with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, we'll begin with verse 6 and work our way down through verse 12. Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, and then work our way down through verse 12. But before I do that, just a little bit of just a background information. Let me ask you this question. What is the single most important message that you have in your possession as a born-again Christian? You ever think about that? Is it a message how to ensure your successful vocational call, uh, how to succeed in life? Is the message that you have as a born-again Christian how to win friends and influence people? Is it how to make prudent financial investments, how to enhance your Roth IRA here on earth? You know, all of those things are good, but when it gets down to the bottom line, the most important message that you will ever give to anybody you know is the gospel. As a matter of fact, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said to them before his ascension, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? And the way that's constructed that from our commander-in-chief in Matthew 28, 19, it's having gone. The assumption as you as an ambassador of Christ and you as a born-again Christian, having gone. The assumption is, go, soldier, deploy. What are you waiting for? Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the very end of the age. That's our message. Matthew 16, 26 says this, What will it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? I read to, just the other day about Bill Gates of, uh, not Bill Gates, but Steve Jobs of Apple. His net worth was $7 billion and he died of cancer. I think it was pancreatic cancer. All the money in the world that you have and that you've amassed means nothing if you don't have Jesus Christ. That's your message. That's my message, Reverence Bible Church family. When I have the privilege of officiating funerals and presiding over funerals, one go-to verse, well, my, kind of like my bread and butter verse when I do funerals, is Ecclesiastes 7.2. Better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Death is the destiny of every man. The living should take that to heart. See, the death rate's still 100%. Everyone dies. We have the message, you and I, Reverend's Bible Church family, we have the message of the gospel to give, to have one's person's sins forgiven, to have hell canceled and heaven guaranteed. Isn't that good news? That's our message. We, We see death all around us. I mean, we see 22 die in a mass shooting in a crowded Walmart in El Paso, Texas. Texas, 22 dead. How much do you think they were thinking about that being their last day? Nine die in a shooting in Dayton, Ohio. Where are they now? I don't know. 
The point is the gospel. We need to get the gospel out. L.A. County Sheriff's deputy gets gunned down by waiting for his food in a fast food restaurant. Just cut down. Or something as tragic or unexpected as a professional baseball player dying in his sleep before a game against the Texas Rangers. Reverence Bible Church family, it's my hope and my prayer that the study of God's word today would cause you to redouble your efforts in proclaiming the gospel and adhering to Matthew 28, 19. Go, go therefore and make disciples. And you know me, RBC family, you know me, I'm not a stick in the mud. Let's have fun, right? Let's go to a Dodger game, let's go to an Angel game, let's go to a Ram game, Charger game, whatever you want to do. Let's go to the beach, let's go to the theaters, let's have fun because you know what? 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, right? We enjoy life, but all the while is on your heart the gospel. Noted speaker and author, Pastor John Piper, put it this way at a Desiring God conference I just listened to the other day. When an architect walks into the building, what's the first thing he notices? The architecture, right? Because he's an architect. Wow, nice. When a dentist you meet for the first time, he looks at you, he kind of stares at you and looks at your smile and says, you've been flossing? (laughs) Why? Because he's a dentist. And here's the punchline as this story's going somewhere. What is the first thing, this is John Piper, what is the first thing as an ambassador for Christ, what's the first thing that pops up in your mind with somebody you have never met before? Is it the gospel? As an architect in a building, as a dentist, as a medical doctor, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Are you saved? That should be our first knee-jerk reaction to anybody we come in contact with. Are you saved? When you walked in this morning, you should have received a handout. I want to turn your attention to the handout. So turn your attention to your worship packet. And if you don't have this handout, uh, the ushers will get it for you. And then also a pen. What is the gospel? And what I like to do is turn your attention to the back of the handout, RBC family. The back of the handout. These are the action points. Now people, it's, it's, a, uh, uh, it's a loose phrase that they talk about in terms of the gospel. You know, the bo- gospel is the good news. Well, okay, you hit the target, right? But with specificity and split, splitting the hair, what actually is the good news? So this is what I want to endeavor to do as we delve into that. So everybody, in the, check your hand out there. Everybody has a pen, right? The gospel, I'm going to start from the top. The gospel is as follows. Repenting of your sins and trusting Christ's all-sufficient, atoning death, burial, and resurrection as the, as the only means for your acceptance before God. The only means by which you can have the wrath of God removed off you after you die was at the cross. At the cross. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is what I want you, and I pray, reverence family, that you would memorize this out of rote memory and it would come as fast as that. Number two, grace Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that we have been saved. This, I'm just quoting this for you, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, 
and that not of yourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Okay, so what's grace? Let's break that down a little bit. This is grace now. Put on your thinking claps, RBC family. God, the creator of the universe, rescuing and exempting from judgment guilty and condemned sinners from the eternal punishment of hell. Let me repeat that. God, the creator of the universe, rescuing and exempting from judgment guilty and condemned sinners from the eternal punishment of hell and instead bringing them into the joy of his heaven. By what means does he do that, bring you into the joy of his heaven and avoiding hell? The cross. The cross. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's the good news. So as you repent and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father wields his gavel. Get this now. Stay with me on this thought. God wields the gavel and hits his gavel on his judicial bench and declares you not guilty. Isn't that great? That's good news. But wait a minute. You've been, you're telling me, George, that the Bible says that if I place my faith and trust in Christ, I'm absolved and I'm exonerated and I'm acquitted of all my sins, past, present, and future? Yes, absolutely. But somebody's got to pay the fine because you broke the law, right? How many of you have lied here? And if you say you haven't, you just committed your first, right? <laughs> For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Somebody had to pay that jaywalking, fix-it ticket, or a capital crime. Murder in the first degree with special circumstances. Somebody had to pay that fine, and guess who, that, who paid that fine? Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was God, is God, he takes who he is, the perfect life, and imputes that. And I don't know why theologians, they use these big words, and I've got to go look them up, and then it says some other big word, and you've got to look that up. Imputation just means deposit. That's all that means. This is just a financial term. Jesus Christ imputes his righteousness, that pays your fine. Did you catch that? Somebody had to pay the fine. You don't just get off the hook. Jesus Christ pays that fine. So my, it's my hope and my prayer that it, when you guys go out to the public square, you go to, I don't know, Kaleidoscope, Irvine Spectrum, Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica, you go to campus at UCLA Westwood, and I said that for your benefit, Doc. When you go out into the public square, maybe you say, George, I can't get involved. I, I can't engage every time in a Billy Graham evangelistic crusade. Well, I, you know what I do? Janice, my wife Janice and I, we, 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 have, we stockpile Bible tracts. We stockpile Bible tracts and a business card. Or you can grab a CD from Pastor Kevin, solid Bible teaching. And wherever you are, you just go like this and you go... Here's some reading material. If you have any questions, you know how to get a hold of me. Have a good day, sir. What I just gave that Sam right now, 
that has more value than the winning numbers of the California State Lottery. That is the cure to sin. That is the cure and panacea to all men's ills. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Because the commander-in-chief of the universe, Jesus Christ, says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said to come, he's come in Luke 19.10, he's come to seek and save that which is lost. It's my hope and my prayer that after today's sermon, you do that and allow God's word, not my manipulation or exploitation, the word of God, the sole repository of divine truth. Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. Okay, that was just a, a prelude to our actual text. So uh, let's uh, turn to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Okay, and, and, and before we do that, I just want to let you know that w- when we get into this, you're, you're thinking to yourself, why is Paul so exercised? Why is he like a fire-breathing dragon when we read this? Why does he use language that this is so volatile? He's just like a fire-breathing dragon. He's just Godzilla. He's b- breathing hard on this church in Galatia. Why such the emergency? Why we got to roll code three on this? Red lights and siren. Why can't we tone it down? Why can't we, Romans chapter one through seven through eight, says this. Look at, listen to this tenor of Paul's letter in, in Romans chapter one, verse seven through eight. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. The Apostle Paul, he gives them an attaboy. The tenor of First Romans is great in terms of endearment, in terms of affinity. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you. In Christ Jesus. So my point is, in the other letters that Paul had written, he had written it with terms of endearment, with affinity, but not this Galatians letter. And he's as serious as a heart attack under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's dive into the text. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are uh, turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be eternally condemned. Verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Turn your attention to verse 6. I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. See the word astonished there? That means bewildered. Paul was beside himself. He could not believe it. He was flabbergasted. He was floored. Paul declares his astonishment, saying, you're not departing from a religious denomination, a Methodist, Episcopal, Baptist, Presbyterian. You're departing and disconnecting from a person, and that's Jesus Christ. Verse 6a, turn your attention back to the text, RBC family. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Deserting him. Deserting a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word deserting is in the middle voice verb. All that means is it's not passive. In other words, you Galatians who are departing from Christ, you're bringing this on yourself. You're doing this to yourself. In other words, you can't pass the buck and blame somebody else. This is not Flip Wilson theology, right? The devil made me do it. You did this yourself. You're bringing this upon yourself. You are squarely culpable from departing from Christ. That's what Paul is telling. And he knows the ramification. More on that in a minute as I develop this message. The only ray of hope is that they were still only in the process. They were thinking about it, but it wasn't total defection. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was warning them, don't do this, don't do this, because it will lead to eternal damnation. More on that in a minute. Verse 6, who called you to the grace of God. See that word called there? Unless that word called is qualified, called means the external call inevitably eliciting a yes response to the gospel. Theologians call that, commonly refer to that as irresistible grace, the effectual call. In other words, you hear the gospel preached to you, immediately, prevenient grace, you're born again. God removes from you your kitchen granite countertop heart and gives you a beating heart of flesh and puts his spirit in you and instantaneously you're going, I repent, I trust Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. Because prior to God doing that, in this call, now turn your attention back to the text, called, if God does not do that, you don't have the enablement to say I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what Paul was saying. Look what he says in verse 7. And are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. Christians of Galatia are on the point of turning from the gospel. They're right on the cusp. And like a 911 in a rescue effort, like a Navy SEAL or an Army Ranger, here comes the Apostle Paul. says, don't do that. That's no gospel at all, but only legalism. Legalism, you hear that a trite, well-worn phrase, right? All this, you've heard of legalism, right? Legalism is as follows. Trying to earn your salvation by keeping the rules. It's as simple as that. Shrink wrap that with an economy of words. Legalism is as follows. Trying to earn your salvation by keeping the rules. And guess what? Nobody can keep the rules perfectly. You've got to keep it perfectly. And there's only one person who did that. That was Jesus Christ, the anthropist, the God-man. Back to our text, 7b. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Some who trouble you. 
That word trouble is terasso, which literally means to shake back and forth, to shake like a malt, shake back and forth to agitate or stir up. The Judaizers, who were the religious terrorists during that time, they were the Hamas, they were the Al-Qaeda, they were the Taliban, they were the Hezbollah, they were the religious terrorists that were coming in and saying, no, Christ is not enough. You, his death is a necessary ingredient on that 3 by 5 recipe card, but he's insufficient. You've got to add works to the equation. And we'll see that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to hurl some high heat. He's going to throw damnation curses on the false gospel. More on that in a minute. But to, to trouble means to agitate, to stir up, and to cause deep emotional angst. Am I saved or am I lost? I think I'm saved. I was saved Monday, but I'm going to say Wednesday. I tripped up here. Throwing them into mass confusion. That's what was happening. That's what the Judaizer was doing during that time. That word disturb is used in Matthew 2.3. It is a word used here of Herod when he heard the birth of Jesus. Matthew 14.26 of the disciples when they saw Jesus walking on the water. Luke chapter 1 verse 12. Zacharias when he saw the angel of the Lord was shaken. In this, to the core of his being. John 14, 1. It was also used by Jesus in his command, let not your heart be troubled. Right? Trust in God, trust also in me. Paul ob- objects to two aspects of the conduct of these teachers. They were perverting the gospel, number one, and they were troubling the church. Paul, as the shepherd, and as the pastor of them was trying to protect them from these religious terrorists. He says, don't blend, don't mix, nor homogenize works plus Christ. That's spiritual anthrax. That's lethal in trace amounts. Noted theologian and author John R.W. Stott put it this way, to tamper with the gospel is to trouble the church. Indeed, the church's greatest troublemakers now, as they are now, then and and now, are not those outside who oppose and ridicule and persecute our church, those people outside these doors, but those inside who try to change the gospel. Not from those without, but from those within. Trying to blend and homogenize works plus Christ. Conversely, the only way, this is, this is R.W. Stott again, conversely, the only way to be a good churchman is to be a good gospel man. I hope that we're all that. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. A good gospel man. The best way to serve the church is to believe and to preach the true gospel. That's our raison d'etre. Turn your attention back to the text right there. Distort. Distort there. Are you with me? Verse 7. Distort carries the idea of turning something into its opposite, reversing it, and thereby perverting it. Did you catch that? Let me, let me slow down a little bit. To distort something means to turn something totally opposite of what it's made out of. So when you add salt, pepper, oregano of works in that recipe card, that becomes poison, and it's lethal in trace amounts. 
Oh, come on, George, that's alarmist rhetoric. No, it's right there in the text. I'm reading the text. And like good Bereans, please, go home and search the scriptures to see whether I'm saying is true and search it for yourself. But distort means that if you add works, it turns into poison. You completely reverse it. The least bit, get this now, one writer put it this way, I love it. The least bit of law that is added to the gospel of Christ equals hell. The least bit of law that is added to the death of Christ equals poison. It completely reverses its character and turns it into that which is contrary to God's gracious provision of salvation and sanctification based entirely on the merits of his sinless, sin-bearing son. Law does not moderately pollute grace, but reverses and destroys it as a means of salvation. It doesn't just contaminate the batch, it constitutes poison, and it leads to damnation. It's like WMD. I know as a fireman, we used to respond to that as the uh, first responders on our hazmat team. At WMD, Weapons of mass destruction, spiritual anthrax. Grace can be destroyed, but it cannot be modified. Did you catch that? Grace can be destroyed, but you can't modify that. You can't change that. You can't add works to that, attempting to modify that, because in your attempts to do that, you've removed it. In your attempts to do that, you've removed grace. Nothing serious, right? It's dead serious. Back to our text in verse 8. As Paul declares later in the epistle, but even if we, now listen to this, now listen. If you put it, drift it away, please come back. This is very important here. Verse 8. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, Moroni, LDS church, right? But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. NIV says eternally condemned. That word in the Greek is anathema. Let him go to hell. That's what Paul said. To use the vernacular, to use the parlance, let them go to hell. The false teachers can go to hell. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I know I say that all the time, this isn't just one reporter's opinion who's copping a bad attitude. This is the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling the people, don't do this. God using the Apostle Paul as his conduit slash conductor to be able to proclaim the severity of that situation. He pronounced a judgment upon them. We preached. What was, what was the gospel that Paul preached? For it is by grace that you have been saved. All us Sunday school grads, we know this by rote memory, right? For it is by grace that we have been saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves, a gift from God, not by works, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's all by grace. So Paul says, if you hear anybody who preaches a gospel opposite of grace, let him go to hell. Angel from heaven. And, second, and it doesn't surprise us when Paul uses this language, an angel from heaven. In 2 Corinthians 11 you want to jot that down on your margin, jot that down on your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 through 15. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as a what? Angel of light. False teachers don't tell you, hi, I'm a 
true teacher and I want to lead you to hell. They say that I'm a true teacher and want to lead you to heaven. They're false if they're preaching the gospel that's antithetical to grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. Did I say that enough? It's all by grace. Back to the text. Should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached. The one that he preaches was the one that I just repeated there. By grace through faith. There was only one gospel. Let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. The vehemence that Paul denounced the false teaching was manifold. I haven't even given you the fruit. If you're taking notes this morning, and I wish you would, jot it down this way on your outline. Pull out your bulletin. Jot it down this way on your outline. Point number one. Avoiding, this is the title of the message, avoiding catastrophic gospel alterations requires that you, number one, don't be kind of right about the gospel. Don't be kind of right about the gospel. It's up there on the PowerPoint. Don't be kind of right about the gospel. Keep your finger here and turn from Galatians chapter 1 through 6 and turn over to Galatians chapter 5 verse 2. Up over four chapters. Galatians chapter 5 verse 2. If you turn there with me. You may be asking yourself, why does it matter, George? I mean, just relax. Breathe through your nose. Why, why is this so serious? It's a big deal because of what we're about to read right now. Works plus Christ's all-sufficient death equals poison, equals hell. Verse 1. Are you there? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't let anybody straitjacket you back into the bondage of legalism, rules keeping. Don't let anyone do that. Verse 2, look, look, this is Paul now, listen up, attention, mark my words, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are what? Severed from Christ. You are severed from Christ. And you, would, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Let's pause right there. He's saying that there's nothing wrong with circumcision unless you, you know, ladies, you think this is gender specific, the circumcision, it's not. What the legalists were trying to do was not only keeping the Decalogue, the 12 commandments, they tagged on 612, 14 and some change of man-made laws. So it became so diluted. But the one where you were definitely part of the Deeper Life Club is if you were circumcised. If you were circumcised, then you were in. That's heresy. And that's what he says. So what Paul is saying now, stay with me on this thought. If you allow yourselves to be circumcised, in other words, is if you're allowing yourselves to be saved by works, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Christ's death on the cross will be rendered null and void if you wrap your arms around a works-based righteousness. If you believe that there's something that you can add to that. Verse 3, turn your attention back there, 5-3. Uh, 
I testify again to every man who accepts or receives circumcision that he's obligated to obey the whole law. In other words, now God pushes you in a category where you have to obey the law perfectly. And the repercussive effect of that is hell. So not only do we not want to teach works plus grace and totally eliminate that, we want that to marinate in our soul. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. So let's not go down that road. And what they were trying to do, the, the Judaizers were saying, God, you've got to accept me now. Look at, I'm taking AP and honors courses. I'm being circumcised. No, no, you're in already because of what Christ has done. Because of what Christ has done. And we in the 21st century, in our pride, we want to compare resumes, Right? We want to compare all the good things that we've done. We want to compare our report card on home at home and say, well, I'm better than the other person. No, you might be better than the other person, but you're not better than Jesus Christ, who was God in a body. You can't improve on that. Back to our text. Look at verse 10, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? For I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. One of the primary objectives of the religious teachers, the false teachers of that time, the Judaizers, is that they were trying to undermine the authority of the Apostle Paul. Stay with me on this thought. They said, he's not part of, he wasn't with us. He wasn't one of the original apostles. He didn't physically walk with Jesus, right? They're trying to place a seed of doubt in the hearts of the church in Galatia to germinate and say, yeah, you know what? You're kind of right. What makes your gospel right, Paul? Paul comes to his own defense in regards to that. They, they were trying to spread the idea that Paul was not a legitimate apostle, self-appointed. They accused him of uh, putting aside the Mosaic ceremonies and standards. In other words, the Judaizers were saying, Paul, you're a false, you're a false apostle. Because you're trying to make it easy believism. Slape agape. Name it, claim it, blab and grab. That you can get in by not doing it. Paul, you're, you're a heretic. Paul says, no, I'm not a glad-handing yes man. I don't do any of that. A glad-handing yes man is a weak man who always agrees with the majority. Whatever the majority does, I'm going to go with them because I don't, I'm afraid that they won't like me. And I, I want them to like me. No, he didn't say that. There was a solid refutation there. Verse 10. For, am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? If you look at the corp, other corpus of Paul's letters, you talk about somebody who graduated magna cum laude, from Hebrew U, that was the Apostle Paul. Circumcised the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I reckon run circles around you if you want bragging rights to go to heaven after you die. But he said, I consider that rubbish. I consider that excrement. I consider that scubalon in terms of the sufficiency of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. This is Paul. So if you want to go toe-to-toe on resumes, Paul says, suit up. I'll run circles around you guys. But he said, no, I consider that rubbish. 
He wasn't a glad-handing yes man. Am I now trying to seek the approval of men? And he was referring to the days when he did seek to please his fellow Jews. That's what Paul used to do. Before his Damascus Road conversion, he was trying to do that. How many hash marks can you amass in your prophet, this Paul? How many hash marks can you amass in the prophet column? One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. To tip the scales in your favor to somehow go to heaven after you die. Paul says, I used to be like that. I wanted to graduate magna cum laude. I wanted to be a valedictorian. And I ran circles around you, but it wasn't good enough. Because on the Damascus road, he came to the realization, Lord, Lord, why do you persecute me? Instantaneously, the apostle Paul knew that all his bragging rights were filthy rags in the sight of God. Filthy rags. And that's the most grotesque rags you can think of. Look that up. Look that up in your own time. If I were still trying, verse, verse, uh, the verse that we're reading here, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul surrendered his life entirely on the lordship of Jesus Christ. He was betting the farm. He was betting lock, stock, and trade that he could have hell canceled and heaven guaranteed by virtue of faith in Christ. And in the corpus of Paul's writings, that's what he was. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. See, and he was trying to reason with him, Paul says, people pleasers are not, not usually martyrs. The desires to escape ridicule. Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. Paul says, I'm not a glad handy yes man. Listen to this, Galatians 6, 17. For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. I got whooped. One hair's breadth of my life. Do glad handing yes men do that? False teachers? Answer, No. Acts 14, 19, in the city of Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. People who are glad-handing yes-mans are not stoned for preaching Christ alone. He was stoned and persecuted. And as we, the first martyr of the Christian church, the stoning of Stephen, what did Paul do, who was Saul of Tarsus at that time? He took their clothes and he says, have at it, boys. Have at it, boys prior to his conversion. Paul says, I, I, not, not any longer. Not any longer. He was prepared to face persecution. If anyone lives a godly life in Christ Jesus, he will be persecuted. It's an occupational hazard. You don't alter the gospel because you know what it entails and what the ramifications are. Point number two of your outline. Jot it down this way on your outline, RBC family. Avoiding catastrophic gospel alterations requires that you, number two, get ready for strained relationships. Get ready for strained relationships. There's going to be times when they're not going to like you. Matter of fact, there might be a coming time where they're going to kill you thinking that they're doing God a favor. And that's prophesied too. Because Jesus said, blessed are you, When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely accuse you because of all kinds of evil because of me, rejoice. Rejoice and be glad, for in the same way did they persecute the prophets 
who were before you. Get ready for strained relationships. If you preach a salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, people are not going to like you. That is, cuts cross-grain to our culture. Turn your attention back to our text, reverence family. For Verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Would have you know. He's saying this. Turn your attention back to the text. Would have you know. With absolute certainty, I'm going to certify this to you. I would have you know that what I taught and I received was through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul was saying this. Let me make it perfectly clear. Let me make it perfectly clear. The gospel I preach, he said, is not human either in nature or in authority. I did not invent it or alter it, nor did any other man. Its message is completely divine in origin. This is Paul. What I teach you, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is by divine origin. God the Holy Spirit superintended the Apostle Paul that what he spoke was the very oracles of God without any mixture of human wisdom whatsoever. That the gospel that was preached by me, back to the text, is not man's gospel. Not man's gospel. It would have permeated all works righteousness and that was what he was attempting to do. I didn't receive it by any man. And he was referring to his Damascus Road conversion. It was at that moment in time that the Apostle Paul was enabled to believe that he was a sinner in need of grace. And he flipped immediately from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. But I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is best understood as the object, that very revelation. Paul's Damascus Road conversion. It was not that he had no previous knowledge of God, right? We already got through telling on that in Philippians. The Apostle Paul knew all, knew all about Jesus. He knew about him didactically. This is prior to Paul's conversion. He knew who Jesus was. He was a rabbinical scholar, Paul. As a matter of fact, it was because of that fact that I know who you say you are or claim you are that I'm going to go after you. I'm going, I am a blasphemer. This is Paul. I'm a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man prior to his conversion. But he said, I received it from revelation of Jesus Christ, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Point number three of the outline. Jot it down this way on your outline. Avoiding catastrophic this is so important here, RBC family. Avoiding catastrophic gospel alteration requires that you, number three, return to God's word for gospel accuracy. Respond, return to God's word for gospel accuracy. We always go back. We're Bereans. Anything that you hear in the public square, test it against the word of God. Right? Acts 17, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonians, those in Thessalonica, and they searched the scriptures how often? Daily, to see whether the things Paul said is true. Return to God's word for gospel accuracy. 
And why is that? To avoid catastrophic gospel alteration. Changing God's gospel. Changing God's gospel. This is, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Pasagrafe theopanustos. All scripture, God breathed. Every jot, every tittle. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelations 22-21 and everything in between. Go to God's word whether it be the television talk show host, the media pundits, Oprah, Dr. Phil, we return to this for the gospel. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. John 17, 17, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, Every word of God is flawless. I conclude with this. To fight or switch, what should we do? to fight or switch. Is conflict out of step or incongruent with Christian compassion? Is there a time when we need to do battle and link up arms? Is there a time where we have to choose our battles and there's a hill we want to die on? I would say yes. When you are confronted with theological error, Paul would rather fight than switch. I think that was a commercial ditty when I was growing up. He would rather fight than switch. Without occasional fights, the battle for the truth would be what? Lost. If you're not championing the cause of the true gospel, then the gospel gets swept under the carpet. Just as without U.S. military protection and intervention guarding our U.S. borders and soil we in the United States of America might lose our freedoms that we are so privileged to enjoy. We would be prisoners to foreign enemies if we didn't have military soldiers guarding our foreign soil. You know where I'm going with this story, don't you? We at RBC, our family, we need to guard the fertile soil of the true gospel. We can't let it be contaminated with the false doctrine of works because works will totally render null and void the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be the U.S. military. That's not Satan's playground. That's Satan's battleground. And we need to armor up. The great guns of hell, the weapons of mass destruction, namely legalism, were launched and fired like an RPG upon the Apostle Paul. But he didn't roll over and play dead. Paul knew that passivism, sucking his thumb, having his baby blanket, would mean certain defeat of the true gospel. That's a hill that Paul died on. And that's a hill we should die on. Choose your battles carefully. The purity of the gospel is one of them. That's my hope and my prayer for you and me. Paul began in chapter 1 of Galatians and rolled out his heavy artillery, his tomahawk and exocet cruise missiles, dismantling the lie of earning your salvation. He completely obliterated that, Paul, by the corpus of Paul's writing. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Oh, I fall woefully short. But it's a track that we need to run on. It's a goal we need to seek and not seek in their hands. 
namely salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Reverend church family, let's choose our battles carefully. This is a hill that we must die on. It's my hope and my prayer that you would endeavor to redouble your efforts in proclaiming the gospel, the true gospel, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You will do that, won't you? I hope that you do. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Oh, God, 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 oh God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you who authored scripture using Paul would work in the hearts now of what was just proclaimed. You just used my mouth and my vocal cords. It's your message. Holy Spirit, do something. Light a fire in our hearts that your word would be in our hearts like a fire, a fire shut up in our bones. We're weary and holding it in. Indeed, we cannot. Can somebody stop me? Jesus, the God-man, for your glory and honor. As we continue to do that, Father, until you come home and back for your church, or you call us home, please, God, give us souls. Help us to make disciples of all nations for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.